Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, welcome to New Valley. Uh, it's so good to be with you. My name's Scott. Um, I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors. And um, I was on sabbatical for three months, so some of you have been visiting off and on throughout the summer, but I was gone. And uh, man, I tell you, after not working for three months, uh, it's hard to learn how to work again. But uh, I have been working, and I, I look forward. I'm so glad, I am so glad to be back. And one of the things that I missed uh, the most about my life, but uh, also my ministry, is just being in uh, God's Word every week uh, in a way preparing to preach. And I know um, there's a lot of pressure with that in one sense, but um, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is, uh, is, is having to go into God's Word every week and, and figure out what you're going to say to God's people. And that's such a gift uh, to, to the person who, who gets to do that every week. And so uh, it's a huge blessing uh, to, to do that to do that today. We're in the second uh, week in a new series uh, called Endearing Faith uh, from 2 Corinthians. We're looking at several of, the, of the, the big passages from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is an amazing book, a big book, uh, in that it's just filled with so many passages that um, are kind of in some ways like Paul's greatest hits. And I know that analogy certainly doesn't fit perfectly, but Paul has just so many amazingly impactful things to say to us out of 2 Corinthians. And so I'm going to read it to us, uh, our passage this morning, which is chapter 1, verses 15, through chapter 2, verse 4, and then we'll get started. But I wanted to invite you to turn open your bulletin and see the passage in there, if you don't have a Bible open already with you. Because there's something about seeing the text in front of you, not just on the screen, and the, te- the screen is great, but then going home and looking at that in context and reading through it and seeing the repeated words and phrases and the ideas that Paul is connecting uh, before this passage and the one after and, and really learning to study your Bible together. So would you turn to verse 15? I'll read it together for us. Paul writes this, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, were not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for we stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad in the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be uh, the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you all. 
This is the word of the Lord. In this series, what we're talking about is an enduring faith. Um, When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your plan is to not stop having faith in Jesus, but to endure in faith. When someone you love, when you see somebody get baptized, when you see somebody begin to walk with Jesus, they don't begin that process and that journey, of course, to stop at some point, but to continue to endure. Um, when, when your children profess faith in Jesus and your heart rejoices and, and you're so filled with gladness and joy, you pray that they continue to walk with God throughout all of their life. And even in those difficult journeys where they wander, that, that God will continually be walking with them and drawing them back to himself. And so we want to endure. And that's hard because if you think about the word endurance, that means to prepare, right, for a race, to have the, the stamina and the strength and the endurance to last in the race. And for Paul, he has so many glorious things to say to us that should encourage us because I don't know about you. On the one hand, that's terrifying. Some of us never complete projects. You start something around the house or you begin to paint the house and you quit or or you start something at work and it's difficult to, to complete. Maybe you're a procrastinator and you think, I never get anything accomplished. But God perseveres through us also and that is such good news. One of my favorite passages from um, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will c- complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. What good news for those of us that have trouble enduring. And yet Paul also, and there's often this tension with him where he says, look, God does it all. It's all grace. Faith is a gift. God will persevere through you and preserve you. But he also calls us to endure and is an example of this. My oldest son is uh, starting his junior year at a small liberal arts school back east and um, started out at ASU and then transferred to the school uh, last year and is starting the second year this year. And last year, he wound up in a church in his new hometown, and uh, it was kind of the church that honestly made the most sense for anyone that age. Uh, the music is like right up his alley and the preaching and the pastor's young and, and the place is just packed with college students and young people and, and people his age. It, it was the perfect church for him and it made all the sense in the world. And as a, as a pastor and a, a father, uh, man, my heart just rejoiced that he was in this great church. Uh, this summer though, he's without a car and so he wasn't able to get to uh, that church and he found one much closer and he has now been attending this church that makes less sense for someone his age and that it is a very, very traditional church. I mean, straight out of the hymns, pastor wears a robe, uh, lots of liturgy, and, and it's not the obvious, not the obvious church. Some of you are going, oh, that sounds fantastic. Like, <laughs> and I have a robe. I'm going to break it out one of these days. Man. I'm gonna... And I want to tell you the story of just what happened this week, and as a father, I can't, I can't, I really will not be able to share the utter joy of an enduring pastor in my son's life. So he's attending this church. It's a large church, this large traditional church, and, and we made it known that he's been attending there, and, and would there be a way to connect with just any of the pastors on staff, okay? The senior pastor calls me and says, hey, I just want you to know I got this message, and it is my joy to reach out to your son. Then he sent me two 
he's making me look like a horrible pastor. Man, he, he wrote me two handwritten letters. He's texted me like four times. This guy is not famous worldwide, but he's well-known in his community, and he's well-known in our denomination. He reached out to me. He had coffee with my son this week, and my son called me afterwards and said, I have found my church home, and here's why. This pastor shared with him how he came to faith, and they shared their life with one another, and it was a story of endurance. And we saw last week how Paul said that we often grow the most, right, through times of suffering instead of times of ease. And Pastor Joe, who was sharing his life with my son, was sharing how when he was a young man and not a believer and was married to his wife, they were two years into marriage, he had his hands severely crushed and maimed in an accident, and he was just in tons of pain, multiple surgeries, and his wife cared for him in the midst of that for this year. She endured with him, and it was her example of serving him and loving him, and he kept saying, how can you do this? Because it was so much. It was so much pain, so many surgeries, and she just kept serving and serving and serving, and as he asked her, how? How can you do this? How can you keep enduring like this? She said, Jesus Christ would never leave you or forsake you, and neither will I. And so that changed his life. Through that suffering, he became a follower of Jesus and has become, in my opinion, this glorious example of what a pastor should be and is. He's not famous. He's not known worldwide. And it's so sad. It's heartbreaking. And almost every season lately, it seems like every time you turn on the news, there's another story of a moral failure or some, some major catastrophe in the, the church somewhere where, where there's a bad example of what it means to follow Jesus but here's a man, faithful, still, about to retire, faithfully meeting with a college kid who, trust me, uh, is not going to afford to give anything or doesn't have that much free time to serve. He is just pouring his life into this young man. Could not be more thankful for this pastor's endurance and also his demonstration of how we grow through suffering. Last week we saw this. Paul said this, and this is going to be up on the screen. He said this, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who has raised the dead. As Paul is sharing his story with the Corinthians about suffering and going through times of difficulty, he's saying this, God took that experience of suffering and he enabled me to quit relying so much on myself, but to put my faith and my hope and my reliance upon the one who is able to raise the dead. Of course, we have to rely on ourselves, and that's even a good thing to, to be able to you know, meet your own needs and, and, and work and so forth and, ha and rely on yourself, but we often rely on ourselves so much that we really don't practice much faith in relying upon God and living our life out of His strength, and we often just live out of our, our own. But what we saw last week is God is committed to growing and maturing His children and he uses all kinds of things, not the least of which is difficulty and suffering to teach us to grow in our faith and to learn to rely upon him more and more and more. We read in 2 Corinthians 11 how Paul suffered this long list of difficult circumstances that were teaching him. That included imprisonments, beatings, uh, with rods. He was whipped several times. He was once stoned, not to death, but they were trying and then he ends this litany of these horrible things he was enduring, and he says, not the least of these are the daily pressures 
that I feel an anxiety for all the churches. He was a missionary to the Roman Empire and to the, unbel- not the non-Jewish part of the world that he was going out and starting and establishing new churches. And, and he felt this weight and this pressure and so much of his anxiety, even, even beatings and imprisonments and being shipwrecked, he said he mentioned with that these difficult relationships that he had and the stresses and the strains that he had relationally. The root of his anxiety was often due to stressful relationships. And I want you to just stop and think about that just for a minute. Think about all the stuff you go through, whether it's your physical, um, financial, whatever, but how stressful and how difficult it is when we have a breakdown in human relationships, the people that we love the most, usually. The people closest to us, when there is a breakdown in that relationship and there is stress and strain, I just want you to think about the impact that that has on you, the way that shapes us, how difficult it is. And the question for us really isn't, do I have difficult relationships? Because today is talking about enduring faith in, in difficult relationships. Because usually one of the greatest things we suffer in life is some of these relationships. The question isn't, do you have any difficult or challenging relationships? The question is, which one is most challenging right now, right? Which one is causing you the most stress, the most strain, the most difficulty? It's not if, it's how much, how intense as it relates to your life. How many? What is the most challenging? Negative people. People who take things the wrong way. People that read into your motives. People that twist things and maybe gossip about you. People who, who just, no matter how hard you have tried or they have tried, it's just there's breakdown. And today, today, this is probably not smart, but I've decided to tell you who the most stressful person is in my life on a daily basis. The person that is just the most difficult person to deal with. Some of you are laughing already. It's me. His name is Scott Brown. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> I thought he might say me. No, <laughs> it's me. So we're going to talk about difficult relationships today and, and how the gospel can help heal that but ultimately also to heal ourselves because if you think about difficulty, we not only are the recipient of difficult relationships, if we're honest, we also are the one who often make relationships difficult ourselves. This church in Corinth, it's interesting because Paul births these two letters uh, to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and they're so beautiful, but they are rooted out of frustration with the relationships with this church. They questioned his authority constantly. Um, They complained about his preaching. They liked this other preacher better. There were celebrity pastors apparently even back then. Uh, They listened to false teachers. They started rumors that Paul was just after money. And after all that he had done and loved them, like he started their church, He, he served them, he was with them, and yet these kind of breakdowns relationally just kept happening time and time again. But Instead of being a no to them and rejecting them and just walking away, we see something very different. We we see instead Paul engaging them in love and grace. And I have to say this, like if we gave Paul a personality profile or exam and, and we're trying to understand him, we would see that this did not come very naturally for Paul. 
You know, I don't know exactly where I'd put him in the Enneagram or the, uh, the, the, you know, uh, the Myers-Briggs or whatever the personality thing is you want to talk about. Like, but I know this. This is an intense individual. Uh, relationships were challenging for him often because he is a very intense man. And what we see in Paul in 2 Corinthians is a man who is growing because of the gospel. And he's not just turning to his natural response to let them have it and say, forget it. But instead, we see love and grace and mercy. And the overarching idea I want us to see today is this, is God's yes to us in Jesus empowers us to grow through the suffering of difficult relationships, and if I wanted to add on to that, and and also to quit being so difficult ourselves. (laughs) That Jesus is, God's yes to us in Jesus Christ, because all of God's promises find their yes in him, that is a resource to us to bear up under the suffering of difficult relationships and to grow in such a way that we quit being so difficult ourselves. So Paul's motives were called into question. I've already mentioned that, but that's so true. Paul made an unplanned visit to the Corinthians, and it proved to be painful. It says so in chapter 2, verse 1. We just read it. His original plan was to go to Macedonia, this church that is struggling financially incredibly. We'll see this later. And they're so poor and impoverished, but he's going to the Macedonians. He's collecting money for the Jerusalem church, which is suffering under an enormous difficulty financially and and, and in a a hardship. And he's going to Macedonia, and he was going to stop in Corinth on his way to Macedonia. Then he was going to stop again in Corinth on his way back, but he decided not to do that because this first visit had been so painful. Now, naturally, they're disappointed, but they didn't just say, we're sad, that hurts our feelings. They called his character into question. They called his motivation into question. And if you think about it, and just stop for a second, if you've ever had your motives called into question or your character, just, you're just trying to do life, and somebody says, yeah, but you, know, you're, you hate us, or you're mean, or you're selfish, that hurts profoundly. And the thing that I wanted to remind you from last week, too, is this. Paul is a human being. He was imprisoned, beaten, tortured, uh, left for dead, in danger, shipwrecked, in the open sea for 24 hours. And I tend to think about Paul's life, and I think, well, he's superhuman. He's like a cartoon figure or Indiana Jones, and of course, that didn't affect him that much. But if you think about it, again, from the human perspective, this is a man that has to be dealing with things like post-traumatic stress, uh, anxiety disorders of some level, depression, most likely. I mean, the body can't suffer that kind of thing, regardless of how great your faith is. You will have that natural physical response, and Paul has to be there, and, and yet it's, he's also taking the blow of having his motivations into question. Second, Paul responds as a servant leader instead of lording over them. And I'm telling you, this was not Paul's natural response. This is a gospel response. This is a growth response. This is a Holy Spirit movement in his life. He says in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. 
I'm telling you, of all the churches that we've read about in the New Testament, none, none was more difficult than the Corinthian church for Paul. You read through 1 Corinthians and you see they're excluding the poor. They're bragging about sin. They're not letting people come to the communion table. I mean, and, and they're enabling all kinds of just wrong things. And, and they're, again, they're saying, we don't like your preaching. You're a lousy communicator. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. And he says, but it's out of anguish and love that I write you. Next, and kind of getting into the heart of it, Paul then, though, is not only gracious and says, I love you, but he is loving enough also to tell them the truth, which is this. You've got to understand the gospel for yourselves. They already were followers of Jesus. They're already Christians. They already knew the gospel, but they weren't living in light of the gospel. They weren't living in the power of it yet. That's many of us. That's often us like, I am for one hour, and then I'm not for the next, and then I, you know what I'm saying, so we can all relate. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, and this is what Paul wanted them to understand, and it's what I want us to understand today. It's what I want to understand for my own heart. In 18 through 20, let's reread it. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been both yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, these two gentlemen, Silvanus and Timothy, were with him. And I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. But that's what they're saying. Paul, you, you speak out of both sides of your mouth. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? But like, you say yes, but you mean no. And, and you're saying that you say no, but you mean yes. Like you're double-minded, Paul. You don't tell us the truth. You're lying. You're manipulative. That's what they're saying. But then he finally finishes and says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, and the him is Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, but the Corinthians are living as if all the promises of God for them are nothing but a no. Some of you hear the gospel and you're like, of course that's true for you and you and you, but when it comes to me, it's a no. They hear the goodness of the gospel. They experience Paul's servanthood, his love towards them, but all they feel is rejection. But Paul says, you're not rejected. You're the sons and daughters of God, but you're acting like orphans. You're acting like people that have been cast out when in reality, God has been yes to you. He's not a no, he's yes. But these circumstances in life where you have all kinds of expectations. We expected Paul to stop twice and hang out with us, but he only came once, and now we're believing that he's a no to us, that God is a no to us. Since the fall, okay, the, when I say fall, I don't mean like October. I mean since Genesis 3, when humanity fell into selfishness, sin, and rebellion against God, God has been faithfully making promises to his people. So in Genesis 3, you see it. The whole world literally falls apart. The universe and everything that was good and made is right. In a sense, evil is let in, and everything that is right in the world it begins to unravel. And since that moment, God has been promising, I will redeem everything that's broken in the world. Everything. Of course, people and, and our salvation, but not just that. Everything that is wrong in the world, I'm gonna buy back. That's what that word redeem means. I'm gonna buy out of slavery and I'm gonna restore that to its original intent. And so God has been making all of these promises 
to us about his redemption. And ultimately, this is an enormous theological idea that we don't have time to totally get into today. But what Paul is saying is it all finds its culmination. Every promise in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's all finding its culmination and its victory and its completion and its fulfillment in who? In Jesus. (laughs) It's in him that all the promises of God find their yes. The promises made uh, to Noah find their yes in Jesus. The promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, keep going, Moses, David, they all find their yes in Jesus Christ. It's always yes, but we often live in this broken, fallen world, and our experiences teach us that it's bad and it's hard, and we feel like life is a no for us. Everything in the Bible, though, points to Jesus. Yes, yes, and the answer is yes. And your heart and mine are constantly asking questions like, God, do you love me? God, do you care for me? Because I tell you what, the circumstances in my life don't seem like it at times, right? And when Paul disses me and treats me this way, it feels like Paul's a no to me and that you're a no to me. And, you know, forget Paul and, and them. What about you? When you lose your job, when your kid goes wandering, when, you're, when, you know, when you, your health is, is bad, when just frustration after frustration comes along, it's easy to look at the circumstances of life and your expectations that you bring into life, and say, God is a no to me. The whole universe is a no to me. And so how desperately we, brothers and sisters, friends, seekers, need to know that in Jesus Christ, God is a yes. God, do you love me? God, do you care for me? God, can I trust you? Have you really forgiven me? Are you really in control? Have you really adopted me as your own? Are you with me right now? And, and, and God is saying to us through Brother Paul this morning, yes. The answer is yes. In Jesus, the answer is yes. In spite of how many no's we receive in this life, how many rejections, how much insecurity we carry into this thing, Jesus Christ is a Yes. When people suffer in this life, especially when they're younger, a serious rejection, it can leave an ongoing wound in your heart and your life and your soul where you just feel like everybody's a no to you. And it's so difficult to get to the place where you can believe and, and, get, and quit projecting that initial rejection you received in life, which was profound, It's so difficult to move beyond that and then to begin to receive Jesus Christ, yes. If you receive that wound in an early age through a parent or somebody you love, somebody you trusted, somebody that should have been a yes to you but was a no, it is so difficult to move on from that and to receive Jesus as yes. But church, if I could gift you with one thing, this is what I'd give you. I mean, there would be more but I would love for us to be able to receive Jesus as yes. Jesus is a yes for us. And the gospel so means to free us to stand in the security of God's loving adoption and acceptance. And I just want you to think about all the broken relationships we have and how many times we can point back and go, it's because we're not believing the truth that we wound up here. (laughs) 
we're acting as if God and the whole universe is a no to us when in reality he's a yes, but we're living like it's a no. And I want you to think of the implications that begins to have in our relationships, in, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our children's lives. Think about all the ways in which we're living out of this insecurity versus the yes of Jesus. The fr- friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is a yes for you. He's forgiven in Jesus, and it's, it's through faith and repentance. You have to turn from your sin and trust him and believe him. But when you do, friends, he's a yes. There's no more division between you and God. There's no more sin that stands in the way of you. There's no more shame. It's all wiped away that Jesus Christ now is your Lord, your Savior, you're his, you're, he's your father, you're his son, his daughter, and he's a yes to you. He's a yes. And a couple other ways I want to unpack this this morning is this. How do we endure in faith with difficult people? How do we endure when we know we are that difficult person? And and we just need to learn some good theology and live in it, okay? That word theology means the study of God, okay? So don't be thrown by that. It, It means to study who God actually is, not who we think he is, but to really study the scriptures and to understand who God is. And the first thing, there's so many things we could say, how to endure faith with difficult people. There's 20,000 things we could say. We're just gonna talk about two. And the first one is this, though. We've got to remember that all of us are gloriously created in God's image, and yet we are broken and fallen. This thing alone, just that truth alone can free us so much. First of all, you are created in God's image image and everyone around you, your neighbor, no matter their ethnicity, their history, their background, their religion, their economic, socioeconomic background, it doesn't matter. Every single human being, uh, no matter if they're physically handicapped, mentally handicapped, it does not matter. Every single person you have ever met bears uniquely the image of God. Everyone The person you love the most and the person that you love the least bears uniquely the image of God stamped upon them. Your physical body is a reflection of the image of God. You were created in his image. Your intellect, your creativity, your art, your thoughtfulness, your emotions, your temperament, your personality, we could go on and on. It is all a reflection of the glory of God in his creation of you, but not just you, everyone you see in this room and everyone you'll see today and for the rest of your life are uniquely created in the image of God. And when we don't bear with one another in the difficulty of relationships, we're in a sense saying, I deny the reality that you're an image bearer of God. When I treat you as less than or that you don't matter, if I marginalize you or I treat you even worse, then what I'm saying is I don't believe you're actually created in the image of God. But how much progress we could make if we just began every relationship with that understanding, image bearer of God, uniquely bearing the image of the living God, and yet broken and fallen. And we need both of those realities to live in in a proper understanding of human relationships because while all of us are created in the image of God, the reality is this, the fall, sin, has affected every part of our life. Theologians call this total depravity. And so your physical body 
is created in the image of God and yet broken and fallen. Your emotions are created in the image of God and yet broken and fallen. And you can, again, your personality, your temperament, your, the interior of your life, all of it, created in the image of God and yet broken and fallen. Now, we don't believe in what's called utter depravity, meaning we don't think that we're all as sinful as we possibly could be, but we are created in his image, and his image has affected every area of our life, and we are broken and fallen, and the reality is that has also affected every single area of our life, and the reason I want you to balance both the image-bearing uniqueness of God and the glory of every human is to to embrace everyone in that way, but also then on the other hand to say this, but we're all broken and fallen, and then to bring a little humility into this thing as you try to bear with one another in difficult relationships. We are all broken and fallen, and here's what I find in my own life. I'm pretty uh, patient with myself about that reality, and I want you to be also. Well, I mean, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not Jesus. There's only one that's perfect, so why can't you be patient with me? I'm not perfect. But then when it comes to you, I'm like, why aren't you perfect? Why aren't you doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it? Oh, that we could balance the reality that we're all created in the image of God, and yet simultaneously, we're all broken, man. We're all fallen. So should I be shocked if you're struggling? Should I be shocked if I see some difficulty? Or if you see some difficulty in me, should you be shocked? No, we are we're broken and fallen and yet uniquely created in the image of God. And the next thing, two of a thousand things we could talk about. We need to remember that the fall has fallen harder on some more than others and that most of us have no idea what others have gone through. The fall is an equal opportunist. You know that, right? And it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how poor, how good-looking, how average. It doesn't matter. All these things, none of it matters. The effects of the fall fall on all of us. But what I've also seen is this. The effects of the fall have fallen harder on some. And you know it's true. Two siblings growing in the same home don't necessarily have the same experience in life. This, they, they face different obstacles, different struggles, different trials. Two, two families on the same street, same socioeconomic background, same education, but just different life experience. For some people, the fall seems to fall harder. Just, I have close friends just this last week that have lost a father, and then out of the blue, their beloved dog passes away in the same, same couple weeks. And their children, their young children, are having to process, like, all this death. Now, my life's had some challenges in the last few months, but not like that. So, what is helpful is to, to this, is, uh, look, the fall is affecting all of us, but the reality is this, you know me and I know you, to some degree, and some of you I've never met, I know, but like, but as we get to know each other, we know each other's story, but the reality is, I don't really know what you've gone through in life not fully, until you share that story with me, I don't know. And I make assumptions about you, and you make assumptions about me, but the reality is, until we really understand one another and told each other our full story, you don't know what people are going through in any given moment or in their life. We're in a small group, my wife and me, in our church, a gospel community. That's what we call them here. 
And in our gospel community, it's a newer group, we've been sharing, some of us, not everyone, it's not required, but if you'd like to share your story about how you became a follower of Jesus or things you're wrestling with in your faith, you can do that. And someone in our group this week shared their story. And the thing that I took away from them sharing is this, is I had no idea. To meet this person is to meet one of the most joyful, upbeat, optimistic, and faith-oriented people you will have ever met. And yet this person, after, and I had no idea, the suffering that this person has endured since childhood and even till very recently. In almost every single season of their life is an example of massive suffering. Massive difficulty. Emotionally and many other ways. Physically, I had no idea. And now I do. And I don't even know the fullness of it. I just, I got a glimpse, just a small picture of what this person has endured. And what does that do for me? Well, for one, it has encouraged me because this person is literally one of the most faith-filled people I've met in a long time. And so I am encouraged to endure in suffering and to grow through it because she is proving, this person is proving what Paul promises in in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 that we've just said is that he takes us in suffering and grows us. And this person is an example of that. But let's say this person was more of a negative person, someone more difficult to get along with. That would also help me understand why that person is like that. She isn't, but imagine that she was. We don't know one another's story. So friend, if you believe the gospel, can you give one another the gift, the gift of the reality? I don't, I don't fully know your story. Another example is I went on this three-month sabbatical And even people that I know really well, three months was long enough time that when we got back together, they don't know what I have gone through, and so they can make assumptions in those three months of what my sabbatical was like, and and I can make assumptions what their life was like during those three months. But what I found, just even in the span of three months, hearing about how much stuff happened to my friends, but they weren't sharing with me necessarily because they didn't want to stress me out on my sabbatical, and then I get back and I hear all these things that people have endured. We don't, we don't know what people are going through, and, and the fall has fallen harder on some people uh, more than others. So be quick, friends, church, to be empathetic and to extend grace. A couple questions as we close. Are you living in the light of the gospel as one who has received the yes of Jesus Christ? And you just, only you can answer this. No one is completely, by the way. Are you living in light of Jesus' yes, or are you living more in light as if the world and Jesus is a no to you? Only you can answer this. Are you living in light of his yes? Are you, are you still living like somebody that's a no? Listen, in Jesus Christ, we're gonna learn later in 2 Corinthians that God did not count our sins against us, but they fell on Jesus. And because of that, he is a yes for you. He's always a yes for you. And everything he's promised in the Bible is a yes for his people, those who've put their hope and their trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time in your word this morning that we know will not return void. 
We know that you'll use it in, you, in our lives to strengthen us, and so we ask, Father, that you would take away any words that I've said that might just be a distraction to what you want to say. And Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us and teach us what you need us to hear. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Friends, we, we come to the Lord's table today, and I, I can't help but think of how, in so many ways, this is another example of God's yes to us in Jesus Christ. In this meal, God is a yes to us, and he's inviting us, and how do you become a, a person who receives God's yes? It is through repentance and faith. It's repenting of your sin and turning into trust Jesus Christ by faith, looking to him, for those who have done that, those who've looked to him in their hope by faith, come to the tables. We bring you the elements in just a moment. And as you receive the body, his broken body and his shed blood in the form of bread and wine, would you stop and hear his divine yes to you through Jesus Christ? As you taste the bread, as you drink the wine or the juice, would you hear that? On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body for you. And likewise, after supper, having blessed the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from this, all of you, for the remission of sins. This body and this blood is for you. I remind you, as, as the elements are brought, that the outer rings are wine and the inner rings are juice, and you may receive them as you are served and are ready.